Hello and welcome to Monsters Walk With Us. If you are listening, I just want to say thank you so much for tuning in. I have a new guest here with me, my dear friend, Jessica. Why don't you tell everyone how we know each other a little bit? Mary and I know each other from school. We go way back. We went to high school together and we hung out and partied after high school. Quite a bit. Yep. And um, so now we are forever bonded by the questionable decisions that we've made together. In this episode, we're going to discuss in detail domestic abuse, both physical and emotional, rape and sexual assault, attempted suicide, and attempted murder. So a lot of discretion advised for listeners under 13. This is the toxic masculinity of John Copenhaver. I used a bunch of different sources for this one, Wikipedia, an excellent YouTube channel called JCS Criminal Psychology. Highly recommend. The videos are about an hour long, but there is so much interrogation footage, testimony footage. All of the video things that I'm going to reference or visual things are most likely coming from there. And I would really recommend you check them out if you want to see some of this testimony I talk about later. I'm going to reference Christy and Aaron's testimony from that video. There's an Inside Edition interview with Christy that I'm going to talk about. An article, very ironically named A Monster Among Us by Brian Pia at Bleacher Report in another uncredited article from fightstate.com. I am going to start doing some content warnings because this one especially is very heavy. So it's going to be a heavier one. A couple of the things that I am always going to throw out, we believe survivors and victims always as a rule. Any form of sex work is never an invitation for sexual assault or misconduct with another person. And we are going to talk gruesome details of bodily injury and toxic masculinity. And in the episode description, I have a bunch of resources for domestic violence, and I'm going to go ahead and put those in that description. On August 8th, 2014, in the early hours of the morning, a nude woman runs screaming through a quiet suburb in Las Vegas. A neighbor would be awoken by a loud bang, along with crying and screams to call 911. The woman and her husband were horrified and called 911 immediately. They were very shaken when they looked outside and saw this woman badly beaten, bloodied, and collapsed on their doorstep. So let's talk about John Copenhaver, also known as War Machine, this fucking tool. He was an MMA fighter, which is where he got his War Machine nickname. But I'm not going to call him War Machine because his name is John and he's an asshole. Yeah, no, John the asshole. So I'm going to go ahead and show you some pictures. Everybody can just, all you got to do is Goog uh, these names. So this is John. Oh, okay. And okay. You see some fight stuff, right? And this is Christy's website. Okay. She describes herself winner of Miss Free Ones 2013. Christy Mack is a porn starlet with unique look and personality. I'm not sure if this is still current, like it's still up and it looks like she's doing stuff, but I couldn't find out a lot about her life post this. I have to ask you a question before I go any further, because if not, we need to insert some media here for you. Okay. Have you ever seen the YouTube video, My New Haircut? Yes. 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 Okay. Okay. Yes. Yes. I am refreshed. Jagerbombs. 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 Yes. John Copenhaver, aka War Machine, this fucking tool. He has a bunch of tattoos, short brown hair. He seems like the bro archetype, the My New Haircut type shit. One of his tattoos is a sunset. 
with the silhouette of three people impaled on spikes. And he very conversationally tells reality show producers that this is inspired by the movie Dracula, quote, when I was a little kid, I saw the movie and the impaled bodies in it got me excited. So I got that tattooed. What what even is bigger than a red flag? Like what? I brought you this crate full of red flags. Yeah, basically. Reality show producers are very happy with this. And he goes on season six of The Ultimate Fighter. The Ultimate Fighter is a competition reality TV show for the UFC Ultimate Fighting Championship. I know a bit about reality show producing because my undergraduate degree is in communication. This is a wet dream for producers. And let me explain why. All the participants are professional MMA fighters. There is a weekly tournament style match that like they progress forward. 16 of these dudes live together in a house for six weeks and they're just fed alcohol and exploited by the producers. The JCS episode has truly golden footage of this, the show, the auditions, some of these extreme characters who have come through. And one of the things about reality TV, as you know, we're in high school, the real world was the newest and the only. And over time, more and more started to develop. But the bar for the craziness has to rise and rise to get people to keep watching, right? Reality has to get realer. About to get real. On the show, he's a complete asshole. He gets in physical fights with other contestants. He drinks a lot. He is known for making a lot of disgusting comments and jokes. And he would go to extremes and was one of the more popular figures to come out of the show because even by the standards of the show, this dude was popping off. Also in the JCS episode, there is a clip of one of these dudes in the house drunk as hell screaming, just let me bang, bro, because he wants to fight. And he's, it gets like he's like crying. It's so good. Please go watch it. John has this emotional opening up in episode eight, and he starts to talk about his father dying. His father had a heart attack when he was 13, and John and his brother were present, and John tried to do CPR, but he could not resuscitate his father. He says in the show that he never thought about it. He just totally disconnected from it and buried it deep down. But now he's in isolation for this reality show. He has no internet. He ha- He's just doing these fights. He's not like going out to clubs and distracting himself. And he's, you know, they can't even watch TV. So all he has now is time to think about his loss and how he's never dealt with it. In true reality TV show style, just like when Alyssa Edwards was voted off All-Stars 2 on the anniversary of her mother's death, John loses his match in this episode via close decision and gets eliminated. He is given another shot at the title for a redemption match. Joe Rogan commentates the match because this is, I guess, what Joe Rogan was doing UFC stuff. John gets the absolute shit kicked out of him the whole time. But then in the last few minutes of the last round, he wins unexpectedly. John's lifestyle, he spends months and months just training and getting ready for a match. It's dieting, it's working out, it's doing all these restrictive things. And you just kind of have this focus on the finish line of like, I'm training for this match. A lot is on the line emotionally also for fighters. 
The JCS episode talks a bit about this more in detail, but it's a very intense lifestyle and it's a lot of highs and lows, like extreme highs and lows. And there's a lot of variables that cannot be controlled. For example, for this asshole, variable TM, toxic masculinity. John gets his contract with the UFC as a result of the match, but at his next fight on May 28th, 2008, John does not even last a full minute before he submits. John is released from the UFC pretty immediately right after that because John gets in trouble for two separate disagreements that became physical. In one, he chokes a man unconscious in a parking lot after they have a disagreement. And John later in a radio interview says he was being nice by choking this man out because as a fighter, he could have smashed the guy's whole body apart, but instead he nicely decided to just prevent air from reaching this man's lungs. Yeah, no, that's fine. When you said the they, the confrontations got physical and then you said that he made him choked him unconscious in a parking lot, I'm like, oh, not just a little bit physical. Like, oh, no, that's highly that's like, that's not like, oh, I got real mad and I shoved you and then you punched me and now we're like throwing down the parking lot like that's like. It's a big deal. Parking lot arguments happen. I had a parking lot argument happen <laughs> this summer because context is needed. My best friend's dog is disabled. And so her back knees are locked and she's in like a permanent hunch. She can walk and run. She lives a very happy life, but it's kind of like this scuttle walk. We're leaving Petco. My friend turns to me and says, do you think the pavement is too hot for Coda? Should I pick her up? It's fine. We're almost at your car. We're like 10 steps from your car. It's okay. And I see this woman like grilling us and she's standing outside of her truck looking at us. Long story short, she starts yelling at my friend and accusing my friend of dragging the dog and all the Newburgh, New York flies out of my body at once because I don't get the opportunity for this a lot here in Colorado. And I just start yelling. I'm like, asshole, nobody's dragging the dog. The dog's disabled. She walks like this. Nobody's dragging shit. Get back in your car, mind your business. (laughs) Me and my friend get in the car and you know, that's that. That's a parking lot argument, right? Yeah. I didn't go up to her and decide I'm going to choke you unconscious. Yeah. So there are several degrees of separation between the kind of physical confrontation a like healthy person can get into, like any confrontation, but like a little bit of physical like confrontation doesn't necessarily mean that you, you know, got off the deep end, but like there are several steps of separation between what was accept acceptable quote unquote and what is what happened there like yes the code of conduct student code of conduct two jobs ago one of the pieces i believe it was a 7c what up was behavior that would frighten or offend a reasonable person and this absolutely falls into that category and a lot more john says in a radio interview quote nice and quiet nice and peaceful you take a little nap and you wake up no harm done just a little nappy. It's so in John's mind, he is like fully justified because he could have, as he said, smashed this guy's whole body apart, but he took the nice way out. Because he's an anesthesiologist. <laughs> like you don't you you lost control. You lost control and you regained control luckily, like in time that that person didn't die. Yes. Like that's what happened. And you're now you're trying to retro- retroactively be like, oh, well, I just wanted to end the altercation or whatever. I was peacefully ending this altercation. It's like, no, that's not what you're trained to do. Like you're not. It shows to the disconnect between John's version of reality and actual reality that he's like, I'm going to go defend myself on the radio. 
Also, imagine being the guy who got choked the fuck out in the parking lot and you turn on the radio and this asshole's like, yeah, I did the nice thing. What? Choked out by, choked out by an MMA fighter. That part. Right? Like, that's another thing too, is that it's like, you have to know your own strength. Like you have to, like, you know, you're an MMA fighter. You cannot get into a physical conversation with a normal person because you could punch their body apart when you're just, you're not even trying to. You don't have to be trying to punch their body apart, but you're an MMA fighter. Like we have soft bodies. <laughs> the second incident is a fight that John has with a bouncer and a female bartender. John is on the red carpet right after this for some reason and says that the bouncer was egging him on to fight and like to like do something, do something. I'll kick your ass, bro. Like that vibe. And that the bouncer lost the fight after one punch. So John got in trouble. He says, quote, had I lost, I would have gone home, went to sleep, woke up and said, wow, I'm not going to do that again. No, that's what you think he should have done. That's not what you would have done. That's absolutely not what John would have done if he lost. He would have just like come back the next day. And how are you going to lose? How, how are you going to lose? Like, that's the thing. Unless this bouncer is also an MMA fighter, you're going to win in one punch. And this is all assuming that this was an actual, like, con- like consensual, like, throwdown. Yeah. Aren't you working? They're working. You're at your job and this asshole comes in and starts making a scene and you're like, dude, you got to go. You're 86. And he starts flipping the fuck out and then you get knocked out. John, victim blames the guy basically for not just like, I'm going to take this L and move on. Again, just shows John is delusional. For these two assaults, the court sentences John to three years probation and 30 days of community service because Vegas. John picks back up his MMA career and has a plan that he's going to get back in the UFC. He starts taking smaller regional fights with lesser established fighters, like these hometown hero fighters, because he wants to start building up his record and make him more attractive to the UFC. And he was actually doing well with this for a little bit. He's got a few wins under his belt, but the entire time he's doing these like ringside and post match interviews saying, of course, I'm going to beat these guys. They're not shit. Like, obviously I'm going to win and I'm just doing this to build up my contract. I'm just going to beat these chunks and go back to the big leagues where I belong. That's a great way to get support and a fan base. He sounds like a great dude, right? So I had to look up some more stuff about the UFC because obviously, I guess not obviously, but this is not my jam. The UFC requires a six to one loss ratio for a contract, which six wins to one loss. And John ends up losing a match right towards the end. I think it was like the fifth match that he lost. And so you have to start all over again. John loses his shit and just starts going out and getting into random fights again. There's surveillance footage of him beating up another bouncer, like mercilessly. And John actually chases this bouncer outside and the bouncer got his teeth knocked out. So now you've got to get veneers because again, at your job, this poor bouncer, I hope they had medical. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, well, the other thing is that they need dental. Like you can have medical (laughs) and you cannot have dental. Like that's the problem is that. So, you know, 
LOL. Um, yeah. Who, who needs maybe he was, medical? You know what though? John was taking the nice route and saving him some dental work in the future. Also because Vegas, John is sentenced to one year in county jail, but is allowed a two month delay before he has to go in. How is that even a thing? What legal, like, that's not like when you, when you take a new job and you're like, oh, let me get like some time before I start or something. That's not how this go. Like, it's not like you're moving across the country to relocate. So you're like, Hey, I need a a month to set up my house before I can start work. Here's my question. How was he supposed to spend that time? Like, what is it? Like, what did he get it for? He's not on probation yet. There's no mention of why he gets this delay. So I don't know if he requests it or if they, that's a standard. I don't know. I didn't look into that side of things. Okay. But I yeah. Do All right. Know our criminal justice system is such a joke. How does John spend the time? He parties a lot. And a week before he goes in, he decides to get in a match. He loses because he only trained for five days as opposed to the months and months of training that would go in before. So he's just like drinking, staying up late, partying. He says, I'm in the worst shape I've ever been in. And I was just hoping to get lucky here. Oh my gosh. Wow. Well, that's probably the most honest thing he's ever said. Thank you. He's going to county jail, which means everyone there is serving less than a year. And it's safer than a prison. There's less like gangs. There's less violence. It's just everyone's there for a short time. They don't want to act up. They just want to get out. While John is in jail, the judge in his case learns that more street fights happened before the assaults that were already known. John is sentenced then to two years. John, at some point, was placed into solitary confinement for an undetermined amount of time. And I don't know why but I'm going to just safely guess fighting. Yeah, there there may have been some kind of physical confrontation that landed him there. Although I think that that was probably a poor course of action on their poor part. Solitary confinement on the whole is very mentally damaging. There's a lot of long-term effects to that. And I, I think in general, solitary is needed for some people. But with someone like John, you're right, probably more harm done than good to actually rehabilitate him. But that's not really the point of our justice system, is it? John is released directly from solitary, just into the general public and back out on the streets. Directly from solitary? I didn't even think that I've never in all the time I've been. So I, I've always been kind of like, I don't I feel like we can do without solitary entirely, but I'm not hugely I am read too much about it. But it never once occurred to me that somebody could be released directly from solitary. And that sounds just like an awful idea. Like you, if you've been in solitary for an extended period of time, which I think is the real problem I have with solitary, you shouldn't be in solitary solely for an extended period of time. I, right. I feel, but he, neither here nor there, like you need time to readjust. That's got to be disorienting. And somebody who's already dangerous you just took somebody who 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 is a, basically a child with a stick who's trying to hit a pinata and you spun them around in the street and then set them loose. While John is still in jail, he had started working with a friend on the outside and planning his clothing company. It's called I Do Alpha Male Shit. Wow. That's simple. It's simple and direct and to the point. I and will, give, also I will gross. give him that. It is very variable TM, toxic masculinity, yet again. Yeah. John launches the company just a couple days after he gets out. 
and he starts doing a bunch of vlogs. And it seems like it's kind of a daily diary situation for him. But this is before Snapchat and Instagram stories. So this is just, he has a YouTube channel. I watched some videos, not on his channel, but stuff that's been re-uploaded. And it's very obvious in the videos from what he's saying and how he's behaving that he's on steroids. A lot of them. At this point, we're safely in, like, I would say summer 2009. Okay. So he's clearly on a lot of steroids. He's juicing. Having dated someone who used a lot of steroids, who was the video, My New Haircut, in human personification, they are very irrational. It's a lot of rageful anger over the slightest thing. Um, and it, it is almost impossible to ration or reason, like something that I did that was so fucking stupid in 2006 was get in between my roided out sort of boyfriend and my roommate that he was about to fight because I was like, don't fight her. I'm going to put myself in the middle of this. Just did you get hit? I did not get hit. Thank Thank you for asking that. That's an important clarification. I did not get hit. I was able to calm him down, which is very, very rare. I do not recommend anyone ever take this course of action that I stupidly did, but I thought that I was invincible in 2006. Mm. And I also was getting in a lot of fist fights with dudes in 2006. So I I wasn't necessarily (laughs) that afraid either. It's an important thing to throw out there too. I'm not proud of my actions. I'm just proud they happened before everyone had a camera and could go Mm -hmm. Facebook live. (sighs) Okay. Let's talk about one of the vlogs. I thought we were going to have to uncover the toxic masculinity, but it's like, right. It's like right up in, it's right up in the face. Front and center. Yep. In one of these vlogs, he is fucking raging about not being able to get a Slurpee because he was wearing a hoodie with the hood up and refused to take it off. It's just another example of just, I don't know. It reminds me of, um, you know, something we're going through right now with people who don't want to, you know, accommodate rules of establishments. Another thing is that this is like such white male privilege to be like, I want to fucking slurp I'm not going to take my hoodie off. He gets angry enough inside this 7-Eleven that they threaten to call the cops because he's refusing to leave. He says, quote, I dump my Slurpee on the fucking floor so those dumb motherfuckers have to clean it up and drives to another 7-Eleven to get the Slurpee. He is raging the whole time over. He goes in, he gets the Slurpee. He comes back out and like the five-year-old that he is, I got my Slurpee with my hood still on, these dumb motherfuckers. It's hard to do a, spe- it's hard to do a podcast that leaves you speechless. I don't know. Does he have any other people in his life that we know of? Like there's nobody around, it seems to like get it other than maybe some YouTube content commenters who, you know, so he has, he has his fans from the reality show and UFC. And he's one of the bigger characters to come out of that show. So he has like this reality following, which was sort of new at that time. Like, didn't Twitter just come out? Yeah. Yeah. This is all very like, it's very territory that there's no, like, there's no model for him for this part. I don't think for what, right. like, there's no, like Hank Green and, and Hank and John Green are just starting like Vlogbrothers in what, like 2007 or eight or something. Yeah. So literally yeah. the polar opposite of John. 
by the oh, way. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, yes, I see. Yeah. So many of these vlogs are him angry and freaking out in his car about some bitch dude challenging him or correcting him when he's doing something wrong. In one video, he talks about how he's still on probation, so he couldn't beat up an older bitch at his gym for telling him he's not supposed to be using chalk in a 24-hour fitness. Like, I'll do what I I want. There's no, like, there's no other place this is coming from other than steroids and bottled anger he's addicted to fighting like that's it's literal like it basically has developed into an addiction to steroids and fighting right i'm not a psychologist i'm not gonna diagnose people or talk about a diagnosis unless that's been provided like to the courts or they've disclosed but it's pretty obvious that john took all his repressed trauma about his father's death and just, I'm going to funnel that right into rage and fighting. He's plugging his merch at the end. So he has this rant about this older man at the gym telling him off and how he canceled his contract and da 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 da. At the end, he says, make sure to check out my merch. I do alpha male shit. I mean, it's basically, I mean, it's, it's, he's building this own, his own case of how he feels that Al, being an alpha male is just about like screaming and punching people. Being an asshole. Yeah, literally, that's it. Like, that's literally what he his brand his brand is. This kind of reminds me of like Logan Paul and Jake Paul. This like plug my merch at the end. I have been, you know, so I'm starting to wonder how much he's like how, how big. Like, I want to look into that. Like, how big was his following? How many people? Like, did Jake Paul and whoever I don't know, I can't remember his brother in that. Yeah. yeah, like, did they I, watch his think- his stuff? I think, um, well, it doesn't matter which one is the older one because they're both pieces of shit. Let's move well, on from that. Yeah, right, yes, yep. No, I didn't mean to. I'm just saying, no, like, I'm, wondering, I'm wondering how much this has spurred, like, the, you know, movements and, like, stuff on the, you know, like, in the same way that, early, yeah. well, He was early YouTube. Back to the older man at 24-hour fitness. Let's get back to 24-hour fitness shit. John uploads a video the next day or shortly after and says that he rewatched one of the videos. He saw himself, quote, acting like a fucking psychomaniac. Speaking truths, John, finally. He had some kind of revelation. He wants to stick with the law, but he's going to continue to film himself freaking out so he doesn't smash people instead because he just gets so pissed off. Okay, just reasonable right. reactions. Yeah. Like, I the, like yeah. that you recognize that you want to film yourself. I will give you a fraction of a point in your negative balance for that, John. Yeah. Yeah. You've, you've recovered, but you still got a little, but you still got a long way to go. That was a much smaller revelation than you needed. In November, 2009, John decides he's going to start making adult films. And his brother in an interview later says that John was having sex with so many different women anyway, that his nickname was the whore machine. Oh, wow. I want you to set yourself on fire. Yeah. No. Yeah. But, yeah. So there were people in his life but they were the people who were calling him things like war machine. Yes. Okay. So nobody to dig him out of this hole at all in sight at all. Cause no. he's in too deep to get himself out now. Like right. it doesn't, I don't see how it's going to, it would take something very extreme for him to be able to see himself and like in any more of a light than like, Oh wow. I should really record myself when I flip out on people. Cause somehow that'll stop me from punching them out. Dude. I don't think that that's going to work. You're kind of feeding the anger by like, I'm going to lean into, I'm just going to do these like rage vents every day. Vsauce has a show and one of the episodes, they basically did an experiment where they made people angry by writing 
they did an experiment where they basically made people upset at somebody. And then they gave them, they did two things with them. They had some people sit in a room quietly and reflect for a half hour. And the other people were given a mallet and the half hour in the room with breakable objects. And they were allowed to just go nuts. They were allowed to just like break all the things, smash stuff. There was a picture of like the person who made them upset. It was all fake, but the person who made them upset and they were allowed to like smash that. And like, and then they, then they did um, follow up to see how upset they were. And it turns out that that actually just makes you more angry. Ah. At least according to that one episode is that like being like, it's not really a release. It's, it's amping, it amps you up more than anything. And so the people were not any more calm after they sledgehammered. So he has been debunked by science. So the answer is not break shit by Limp Bizkit. Right. That is not, that's not it. It might feel like that's it. Brookhaven, an adult film star, meets Joe on a set and invited him to her birthday, which had a bunch of people in the adult entertainment industry. She says that when she got to her party, that John was fucking wasted, but that he had gone to the venue early to go like blow up balloons and help set up. She says that John came to the party with another adult film star as his date. I am not going to name her because she has declined to confirm this report from what I was able to find. But Brooke has said that she saw John slap this woman in the face at the party. Some of the men at the party confront John and he freaks out. He starts swinging. He's fighting everybody that comes up to him. From what I was able to find, he fought at least eight guys and then scrammed the fuck out of there. Okay. Wow. Yeah. All right. Good party. I'm also going to guess because these are adult film stars that some of these dudes are jacked. You're right. Yeah, probably. probably. We love all bodies, but yeah. we know what's no. represented in most adult film. Nobody calls the cops. Yeah. Yeah. And also I would assume that people in that industry are reluctant to do that anyway. Right. Why would you want to interact with the police that you know are going to be weird and judgmental? Right. They're going to be kind of dismissive. They're going to be like, well, gestures broadly at everything. And it's going to be like, well, that's great, but we didn't ask to get punched in the face by this dude, but okay. I also <laughs> want to give a shout out. I watched a really good movie around sex work and OnlyFans cam girl kind of stuff called Cam. It is a horror movie. It was amazing. But the reason I bring it up, there was a scene in there where she's trying to report a crime to the police and one of the cops exits the room and the other cops start saying perverted shit to her and insinuating that she must have a lot of sex or she likes the attention because of her career, which is absolutely despicable. So I did some other research just on domestic violence in MMA fighters and the amount of MMA fighters that have been arrested for domestic violence is more than double the national average and more than triple than the average of the NFL. That's a lot. The national average shows that 360 out of every 100,000 men will be arrested for domestic violence. When you look at MMA fighters, it's 750 out of 100,000. Wow. I am not a doctor, but I would guess that the same as fighting and in the NFL, the CTE and like the concussions, consistent brain injuries, you're literally getting your brain punched around. Yeah. I would guess that that may be a contributing factor, but also variable TM. Right. And the general anger, like you're talking about in 
the Vsauce video where you're angry and you feed it and you're angry and you feed it. Yeah. And then there's also uh, almost an addictive factor to it. I'm sure you said they have lots of ups and downs. And so when you have that kind of lifestyle, you get, it's like, it seems it's similar to like, you know, rock stores have a lot of downfall because they are used to going up and, you know, ups and downs. And then, you know, their highs and lows just get higher and lower and yeah. And so it seems like a good, perfect storm. If you, you know, want to put it that way for violence, everything becomes amplified. This reminds me of a conversation I was having with Mike yesterday about a woman whose partner became really angry because they were missing a ingredient for dinner and she still wanted him to cook and he was refusing. So she decided to go take a shower and calm down because she was pretty angry. And when she came out, he had deleted her island on Animal Crossing that she had spent like all of quarantine working on, which is abuse, just to be clear. Yeah, that's no. Yeah, that's taking somebody's time and emotional energy and effort and getting rid of it, deleting it. John gets on the Joe Rogan podcast, as I mentioned before. Mm-hmm. And at this time, by winter 2013, he is posting daily to MySpace, posting a lot of inspirational images and quotes of just like pretty background, vague inspirational quote. So he's right. doing these daily. And When he's on the Joe Rogan podcast, he talks about how he went to college at the Citadel in Charleston, South Carolina, where he studied biology. The Citadel is a military school. John's last day at the Citadel was on January 27, 2002, and the school won't disclose the reason that he left due to a federal privacy law. To go back to my former student affairs background for a minute, FERPA is the law that they are talking about. FERPA stands for the Federal Education Rights Privacy Act. And that means that all students' records are covered and cannot be shared by someone who's employed at the university unless that is to the student directly or someone the student has filled out legal permissions for, for them to have access. This includes housing records. So if somebody's trying to move rooms or do something like that, their class records, educational records, and disciplinary records, their student code of conduct violations, like behavior that might frighten or offend a reasonable person. On the Joe Rogan Experience podcast, which I'm ashamed to admit that I listened to for some time because I misguidedly wanted to hear what the other side of the political spectrum was hearing, that had to end. John says on the podcast, I beat my stepdad almost to death because of a dispute over unpaid tuition at the school. Wow. Wow. And so, so you've, you, you said you listened to him say this, was it like, that's a direct quote. Was it like deadpan? Like, did he, he was, he was talking about how angry he was when he found out about the unpaid tuition. So So this was about the tuition, like the conversation was about the tuition at the moment, not even about like, I have some problems, man. Correct. (laughs) Correct. Cause that's really the, that's really what this conversation should have been about. Right. John is absolutely still juicing, using steroids, and he's also on Lexapro. According to the FDA, Lexapro can cause serious side effects, such as suicidal thoughts, agitation, and in some patients, aggressive and violent behavior. So this is not everybody that takes Lexapro is having these symptoms. It is a specific number of people who are having these severe side effects. And I do not think that Lexapro is in any way responsible to what happens with John. I think John is just a powder keg with a refillable fuse. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I feel like if, if even if he was one of those people, it would be a drop in the bucket at this point. 
Like he's already, like this train's already in motion. What is Lexapro prescribed for? Uh, Lexapro is a antidepressant. And I didn't look at what, you know, there's a bunch of things that people could be prescribed it for. So I didn't look at any specific diagnoses that might mm-hmm. get it, but yeah. um, basically, it, you know, for most people, it works fine. Right. John is not who I want to get my daily inspirational MySpace updates from in April, 2013. Way late for MySpace, right? I was thinking that I was like, I, w- this wasn't in 2007 or eight back when he was doing YouTube. On April 9, 2013, John's daily posts stopped totally. And John didn't post again until one inspirational image on April 14th. And then there was another two-week silence. On April 26th, John's social media lights back up, but he is no longer posting inspirational images. Instead, John is posting about his new relationship with Christy McInday, a.k.a. Christy Mack, who was 22 years old and a rising star in the adult film industry. She was getting really successful really quick. At this time, John was 32. So he's 10 years older than Christy. Christy is gorgeous. She is covered in these like amazing tattoos. She's got a long black mohawk. I was going to say amazing hair. Great hair. She's gorgeous. Absolutely. Total package. Very beautiful. Christy is described as very independent and a total homebody. Christy doesn't like crowds. She has a lot of social anxiety and she just really wants to be home on her couch with her animals. She's a huge animal lover. When Christy was 18, she got married. After she was approached about posing nude, she left her husband and moved to Miami where she started her adult modeling career. So a lot of still images. In 2012, she started her career in the mainstream American adult entertainment industry, and she was in a number of videos. My favorite, I did, well, let me back up. That's not. (laughs) (laughs) It took me a minute. It wait took a, a minute. minute to like get where you were going. Wait, like, wait a minute. Oh, Mary. I looked up Christie's videos and my favorite title and role that I found was that Christie portrayed Zatanna from DC Comics in the 2012 film parody, The Dark Knight XXX. The Darkest Night. <laughs> oh my God. Sorry. <laughs> In November 2013, Christy has a collab with Fleshlight, and they release two signature sex toys, Attack and Booty. So she's pretty popular at this point in time, and she's really growing her business and starting to go into these different avenues to make money because Christy is a bad bitch. Kudos to her for getting over like whatever anxieties are wrapped up and like taking full advantage of it, you know. Hell yeah. She being doing what you like and making money and being in control. Yeah. All the good stuff. We're so here for female empowerment and sexuality. Do what you want. If it makes you feel happy, nobody's getting hurt. Christy meets John in 2013 at a photo shoot for Hustler magazine. Christy later testifies that when John was approached for the shoot by Hustler, he specifically said, I'll only do it if you can get Christy Mack. John had begun dipping his toes into the baby pool of adult entertainment videos at this point for a few years. And Christy said that at first she didn't like John and she didn't want a relationship at all because she's fiercely independent and she does not feel like she needs a man. Rightfully so, girl. 
A few weeks later, they do start dating because at the shoot that they were doing, Christy had pneumonia and still showed up to work, which just shows like consummate professional. John offers to come to her hotel afterwards and take care of her. And she says, I'm not having sex with you, buddy. Right off the bat. We stand a queen. Yes, Christy. Yeah. No. Um, What's up? I'm not. Listen, I'm not here for you to try anything. I have pneumonia. I'm going to bed. They eat pizza, they talk, and Christy said it was a really great connection. She really felt taken care of by him, and when they start dating a few weeks later, she says, I fell in love with him really quick. John gets back to fighting, and he's working on a new winning streak, and both Christy and John are really active on social media. They're making public appearances at events for both Christy and John. Individually, they start to get sponsors. They're leveling up their business. They're projecting this power couple dynamic. John has his I do alpha male shit shirts and Christy has I do alpha female shit shirts. Okay. For John, she models and they do photo shoots together. There's a lot of photos of them together, professional and candid. At one point, They were talking about possibly doing a romantic reality show. So they were in discussions for that. And everything seems to be going really well. And all these photos, they look happy and healthy. And they look like they're just a young couple in love having a blast. Christy ends up getting a property of War Machine tattoo. And a few months into their relationship, she stops doing any adult movies because John is uncomfortable and jealous. Ding dong, here's your box of red flags. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. You it, know how we met. You specifically wanted me to be in your photo shoot. You knew what I did. Yeah, I was gonna say, did he stop? I could not find that out. Okay. I'm gonna guess yes, because he got back to fighting. So like the UFC became his focus again, getting back into the UFC. So it's probably like, well, I'm not doing it anymore. So you can't definitely can't be doing it now. Like now you're just now you're just doing your own thing, which is ridiculous. So we see where this train is headed. Christy doesn't drink or do any drugs and really wants to just chill and be home. She cares a lot about her family. She cares a lot about her multiple animals and she cares a lot about John. So even though she's not necessarily thrilled about stopping her career in film, she's okay with it-ish. And at the beginning of the relationship, John is also not drinking or doing drugs because he is taking his UFC re-entry really seriously. So that means he can't be on steroids now, right? Or I mean, well, I mean, he, he could be, but like UFC won't take him if he's on steroids. Probably. Let's say yes. Okay. Because in one of John's vlog videos, he addresses the rumors that he's on steroids. I'll be honest with you that I did not understand it whatsoever. I don't know. His justification was like, if anybody says they're not on steroids, they're lying. I never liked the UFC. I personally am a WWE gal, Monday Night Raw, what up? Mm -hmm. And I haven't watched in a long time, but they have tests and rules and there's stuff in the contract. So I'd imagine UFC is very much the same. Box of red flags. Oh, yeah. John is like, I don't want you to work and blah, blah, blah. Christy later testifies that when she would come home from shoots before she stopped, John would say that he was disgusted with her when she would get back. He was always very angry if she couldn't have sex with him right after getting back, because obviously there's physical limitations when this is your job. And he would get very, very angry. So before she quit, he had been bringing up repeatedly, 
I want you to quit. I want you to quit. One of the common themes in abusive relationships is silence around the abuse and the importance of outwardly projecting a happy image. And so often the abused is happy to do this because it gives them an escape from the horror that they're living. It kind of is like they can believe the good version of things until the bad things start to happen again. Christy testified that John would be very quick to anger when they first started dating, but he would always walk away and exit the situation or leave the room. However, it did escalate to a point where John would not leave and physical violence would occur. Starting with an open hand slap in the face or choking, and the violence would grow in intensity and frequency. Starting about three to four months into the relationship was when the abuse started. So Christy is deeply in love with John at this point. Mm -hmm. It seems pretty clear she thought that this was the one. She got this tattoo. She changes her career. She's being abused, but she doesn't feel like she can reach out for help because the shame is so strong. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, cause I, I was just going to bring up this, this, there's a second factor also of, you know, uh, just like denial. It's hard to say like, oh, this is an abuse once you're getting slapped in the face, but also well, you, it's, you can it's easy to say he's not, yeah, he's not an abuser. That's something you can, you know what I mean? Oh, That's I'm, different. I might be, I might be going through some like some of my abuse or whatever, but like, he's not an abuser. None of this is ever justified. There is no right. abuse or quote unquote correction or anything that your partner should be doing that makes you feel less than, or that you have to prioritize their feelings over your own. That's abuse. Yeah. And I will list the resources at the end of the episode and in the description If you are in this situation, it is absolutely okay to get help. And there are resources for you. John didn't like Christy's mom. And at the time that they're dating, Christy is living with her mom, sharing a house. And John is living there too. John would regularly take Christy's phone away. So Christy couldn't talk with her mom about the abuse. And in Colorado, that is actually in itself a violation of domestic abuse laws. So domestic violence laws, if you take someone's phone, I believe under Colorado law, that's considered kidnapping. And so it there's a statute in Colorado law that at my last job we would have to enforce. And that is that that's what happens. And in Colorado, if you make a domestic violence call, one of the people involved in the call is going to jail that night. Colorado, great job on these laws. And hopefully more states would follow suit and have more detailed laws to, co- to cover these things in the states that that doesn't exist. Yeah. And that's, that's a, that is a newer way to look at phones, frankly, like, you, you know what I mean? We didn't, we didn't, not that long ago, we didn't all have a phone. That was our phone. We had a house phone or whatever, but now it's so attached to each of us that it can be considered an extension of our person, which is good. I think that's good. I mean, there's a whole can of worms to open about technology, but like, yeah, it is, it is at this point. And like, whether that's how it should be, that's how it is. And yeah, taking somebody's phone, it feels scary. Like even you just saying that gave me a similar reaction to saying like he, you know, would lock her in the house or something like that's, that's a lifeline. That's a lifeline taken from somebody. It, It is a huge, like that you're controlling who they can talk to and you're isolating them, this is a common theme in abusive relationships and relationships where you are being groomed 
where the norm changes and changes and changes. The goalpost continues to change and something that you previously didn't feel 100% comfortable with became normed over time. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's that's kind of how it goes. Again, I'm not a psychologist, but I have been in some abusive relationships, emotional, not physical, which I feel is yeah. an important distinction to make. It's not a safe environment to feel like you can talk about what's going on with people all of the time. Right. And an abuser or whatever has to prevent you from getting those touch points with reality, because that's, that's what will drag you out and make you go, holy shit. I didn't, I, I wasn't getting hit before. Like I, you know what I mean? Like I never, you know, it, 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 you, it's those touch points that would snap you out of it. And if they can keep you away from those long enough. You get lost. Exactly right. And when you get to a point where you are hiding things from the people that you love in your life because you know that the reaction is going to be poor or someone is forcing you to hide those things, that's alarming. That Mm -hmm. isolation and not being able to discuss what's going on. You're exactly right. That is another way of just moving the goalposts further away from what reality is. Christy didn't want her mom to worry. And she especially didn't want her mom to call the police, which was a motivating factor for her to keep her silent. And Christy does later talk about the shame and embarrassment that prevented her from talking about the abuse and that John had made threats against Christy's family's lives and Christy's life. John was extremely jealous. And at one point when Christy was being physically abused in a moving car, she tried to jump out of the car to escape the abuse. John pulled her back into the car, slammed her head against the dashboard, and bit her on the chin. He then pulled behind a Best Buy and told Christy that now he was going to have to take her to the desert and kill her because people might have seen her try to jump out of the car and escape. Oh my God, that's terrifying. The fear that she must have felt, I can't imagine. Yeah, that's so... It gives me a chill to say it, even. Yeah. Yeah, that's horrifying. John would go to extreme measures to hide Christie's injuries from her mom because they lived together in the same house. I didn't know that. Ah, that's, yeah, wow. Yep. John, on this night in particular, went back into the house and told Christie's mom, oh, she's just getting some stuff we bought out of the car and made sure that Christie's mom was back in her own room before he went and let Christie enter the house. I it's so it it's mind blowing how crafted this gets. It shows that he knows that he's a fucking piece of shit. Yeah, absolutely. They know that there's something wrong. Yeah, and he can easily he knows that he can easily be like, "Oh, you can't let your mom see you like this." And just turn it right back on her. Like you know that that's what that's what the line of thinking was for her to sit and wait in the car. Uh, because yeah. otherwise I have to kill you. Right? Oh yeah. No, yeah, don't forget that. Don't forget what I told you. We're trying to we're trying to fix the mistake you made by trying to escape and hopefully I don't have to kill you. It just but... makes my stomach hurt. And I'm not beaten and bloodied in a car with this fucking maniac. Yeah, it's that's deep psychological like torture basically like I told you I had to get the wine for this oh my gosh yeah no yeah Christy would later testify about all the excuses that she would use to explain away the bruises and scratches which is another common theme in relationships Mm -hmm. that are physically abusive and as is often the pattern in abusive relationships in the days after John had a violent outburst and physically abused her John would treat her extremely well 
and really cater to her and take care of her. And Christy said those were actually the best days of their relationship. This is called love bombing, if anybody mm-hmm. is interested in looking this up. John would skip his training and stay home with Christy. They would watch her favorite movies. He would go out to shop for her because remember, Christy really doesn't like crowds. So he would go pick up her favorite snacks. He would get ice cream. He would get her coffee. He would go pick up takeout. And he was very loving and very attentive and very caring. It's heartbreaking to see her on the stand talking about this because she's now had time outside to really reckon and to get a clear perspective on what happened. And so for her to even have the strength to testify, first of all, just, you are so strong, Christy. Yeah. And then to be really honest about, I felt like this was the best times, even in contrast with this horrific abuse that she was experiencing. It's very, yeah, it's, very eye-opening, I guess. It speaks also to the extremes of this, of these types of abusive relationships mm-hmm. where it's the worst, phys- you know, the physical abuse is awful, but then you're getting love bond and you're getting all this emotional support. It's horrible. Yeah. This cycle of abuse is often referred to as the honeymoon stage. The abuser will act very remorseful. They will apologize. They might even say, this is never going to happen again. I feel so awful. I can't believe I did this. And they will actually take some of the responsibility as opposed to in the moments of abuse where you did something to make me react this way. The abused may feel relief that the abuse is over. And this sudden change in emotion can actually make them feel even more bonded with their abuser. When fear and intimidation are swapped for love and affection, that intimate nature of those relationships can be intensified. And there's this false sense of safety. You feel like this is really over. This part of it is over and now it's all going to be good again. Yeah. You feel safe without ever acknowledging the fact that they're the one that made you feel unsafe in the first place. Exactly. To then have that be fixed. Yep. Christy also testifies that the physical abuse would very often escalate to rape. Christy's heartbreaking testimony about the sexual assaults and physical abuse actually made this piece of human trash laugh in court. Wow. That's, I'm, that, I'm speechless. I'm absolutely, absolutely speechless. The prosecution asked that this be noted in the court transcript. Oh, good. Oh, good for them. That's good. I'm glad that somebody wrote that down. The defense objected, but the judge agreed with the prosecution and the judge actually said, I watched him laugh. So that's also in the court transcript. Fantastic. Yes. No. Yep. Thank you, judge. Yeah, because he's like, regardless of even if you want to argue with this, I just said it out loud and I'm the judge. And so it's going to be in the court record now. And the transcriber doesn't need to write haha in there. And so, get there. fucked, John. Yeah, no. <laughs> and stay fucked. In May 2014, Christy breaks up with John. She's had enough and very bravely decides, I'm done with this and I'm done with you. Fantastic. Again, queen. Christy is just the baddest bitch. Like, I really can't. The internal strength that she has floors me. 
Three months after the breakup, John still has a key to Christie's house. Everybody, oh, I feel like that's the thing. I feel like everybody's like, I don't, I'm, I'm not going to change the locks. Like, that's just, this it was seems in, like such a pain in the butt. This was in the last case as well, where the other person still had a key. The other person in an abusive relationship still had a key. And I, I'm never going to victim blame. But if you are in a relationship with someone that you know to be abusive or unstable, it is a very good idea to change the locks if you know that they have access to your house. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm saying that as somebody who is full, I'm fully certain that I, I maybe now that I've done this podcast with you, but I'm fully certain that I would have been like, I'm not going to change the locks. Like I, I, I feel like I would have been like, that's like, I gotta, it's, it's one of those things where like when you're already dealing with what I'm sure is insanity, you know what I mean? It's one more to-do list thing that's complicated and tedious and makes you relive things. And I'm sure it gets skipped a lot. You have broken up with them. And so maybe for you, it's over and you think that they got it and it's just over. And so it doesn't mm-hmm. even occur to you that that might need to be a thing that you do yeah. or it's lost yeah. in the shuffle. You have 8,000 things, other things going on. You're dealing yeah. with this trauma. They could have copied it. They could have. Uh, so even if you got it back, even if yeah. you get the key back, like they could copy it, they could have gotten a spare that you didn't, you, have you lost a spare key? Because they could have it. October 7th, 2014, it's early morning hours. John keys in and enters Christie's apartment. Keys in, that's Sarah's life. He finds Christie asleep in bed with 35-year-old Corey Thomas. Immediately, Christie jumps out of the bed and takes her two pit bulls, Cleo Pitra and Pitrick Swayze, outside. Let's have a moment for those names because... I love those names so Christy, much. Christie, you... God, we stand a queen. Like, I just (laughs) love her so much. So much. She's really passionate about Pitbull Rescue. Oh, well. But these are her two Pitbulls that she owns. She fosters a lot of dogs as well. She puts the dogs outside because John had been violent with her dogs in the past, which I cannot state this enough. You fucking piece of garbage. How dare you? Yeah, right? Ugh, ugh. And I'm not one of those people who are like the, the animal abuse is more important than the human abuse, just to be clear. But if you can abuse an animal, there is something psychologically very wrong. I listened to a podcast called Cults. And in one of the episodes that I listened to yesterday, they were talking about how most people do not have the capacity to intentionally harm an animal. And they said that that is a sign of a true sociopath. Yeah, I... The relationship between, I think the best way to think about it, the relationship between people is, is complicated. Like the relationship between two individuals can, it can be very complicated and psychologically, but the relationship between humans and animals is very simple. They are, they, we are above them and anything we do is a severe form punching down. That's like basically what it comes down to. Like is there's no middle ground. I mean, unless you're being attacked by a wild animal, that's a little bit different, but. I love that so much. And that is exactly why we are best friends. (laughs) (laughs) To get back to the awfulness, Christy is able to get into the bathroom and make a call to 911. And the 911 call is horrific. I, it, it just was so awful to listen to unless you are really desensitized to that. Just don't. She's screeching and screaming and you can only make out clearly her screaming again and again, John, stop. 
she is hiding in the bathroom, but Corey is getting mercilessly beaten. And so she comes back out to try to get John to stop. And John is yelling at Christy to tell him or agree with him. You love me, right? You don't want to be with this guy. We're going to get engaged, right? And Christy is just screaming yes to whatever John is saying because she's so scared that he's going to beat Corey to death. Right. Yeah. Corey is bitten on the face and forearm. He suffers a dislocated shoulder and a broken nose. John then puts him in a sleeper hold and made Corey promise that he's not going to call the police before he lets Corey go. Corey agrees. At some point while this is happening, Christy hides her phone under one of the pillows in the bed to try to stay connected to the 911 call, but unfortunately it is disconnected at some point. John also gets Christy's phone at one point during the attack, and I'm not sure if that's when the 911 call got cut off or that exact timeline of events. Once Corey says that he's not going to call the police, John lets him go, and then John turns on Christy, and he brutally attacks her for two to three hours. Oh my gosh. Oh, and they can't, can I not find her, I guess? They cannot trace the call because she couldn't give her location, and the call was disconnected, I think, too soon for them to trace it. Also, what I know from other true crime cases that I've researched is some departments do not have the ability to triangulate a cell phone call Mm. at this point in time. Since then, there have been pushes nationally for everything to get updated with this triangulation software. But at this point, it was, you know, maybe they did not have even the capability to do that. Christy during this time is beaten severely. And John went so far as to get a knife from her kitchen to cut and stab her with. Christy later testifies that John says to Christy, quote, that's my pussy and I'm going to take it back. Oh my God, no, oh my God. Disgusting. Oh my God. And shows the the level that he felt that Christy was an object that he owned. Yeah, yeah. John attempts to rape Christy, but he could not induce an erection. And of course, this makes him very angry. John takes the knife and starts to cut Christy's head. He starts to stab her in the ear with it. And he takes her hair in his hand and saws it off with the dull knife. He cuts up all of Christy's wigs because he always hated them. And Christy testifies that he had actually broken the handle off the knife, but was still so enraged that he just held the blade in his hand to keep stabbing her. Oh, wow. That's, that is extreme. The rage that you must have had to be in to not feel that. So at one point during the attack, John kicks Christy in the ribs. And I believe backed by zero medical evidence that this is what punctures Christy's liver. Christy begins to seize in pain John thinks she must just be cold and throws one of the dog blankets over her. Uh, wow. Yeah, wow, delusional. Christy is begging that she needs help, that she needs to go to the hospital. Obviously, she's 
injured. And John says, now I've gone too far and now I have to kill you because you can't be seen like this. Everyone is going to know what I did. Oh gosh. Yeah, of course that's, yep. Of course, that's well, I, like thinking, you fucking piece of garbage. Yeah, like what a piece of shit. Like, of course, like you're delusional about everything except that. Except you could reason that out. Corey Thomas also testifies at the trial. Corey and Christy had dated a little bit casually before the incident. And Christy had told Corey, me and John are not in contact. And that's totally over. But she didn't provide any other details beyond that. And Corey wasn't worried about it. He was friends with Christy before he knew her. And it seemed like the start of their dating relationship was a really nice change of pace for Christy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they had dated briefly, but at this time of the attack, they were just friends. Corey was really worried that he was going to die in Christy's bathroom. He says that he had the thought to himself, I don't want to die here. What a weird moment to have while you're getting the shit kicked out of you. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to die in my friend's bathroom. What the fuck, man? What's fucking A? The reason Corey was sleeping over Christy's house is that they had a tattoo convention the next day because Christy has all these amazing tattoos. So going to appearances at tattoo conventions is a way she's still making money. Like I said before, Corey convinces John to let him leave. After he says, I'm not going to call the cops. I'm just going to go. And Corey actually asked John, like, do you want to kill me? Because that's what's going to happen. Like, you're going to kill me here or you're going to let me go. And somehow is able to get through to John enough that John is like, just don't call the cops. Yeah. I personally, I can't fully get behind Corey's explanation of why he thought it was okay for him to leave Christy with John when John is clearly enraged and just beat the living shit out of him. But here we are. Right. Corey testified that when he was leaving, he didn't hear any screaming or anything to indicate that there was any kind of issue. And Corey said hitting a girl would never even cross his mind as a possibility whatsoever. He figured he and John were going to fight. And then that's like two guys beat each other up and that's the end of it, which... Okay, Corey. Yeah, that's that's a good way of that's a good response. Okay, I, Corey. I I, right, I understand, I am... but the critical thinking is not there for me, Corey. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I you, you didn't send the you didn't send like I, I guess you made he you made him he made you promise not to call the police, but you still weren't gonna like just send the police anyway. Like I thought that I assumed that was the plan. Right. I assume we were just lying to John, the asshole, until we get, get the, the fuck police. out of there. Yeah, yeah. Corey said that there were some other reasons that he believed that she was fine because very soon after he left, he got a bunch of texts from Christy and one read quote, he calmed down now. I can't believe this happened. I'm so sorry. And Corey asked, did he hurt you? And in response, he gets this text quote, no yelled. It wasn't until later that Corey found out that the texts were actually sent by John. Of course they were. I would imagine this is Corey's, one of Corey's biggest regrets in life. Yeah, it's gotta be. It's gotta be. This has to fuck with you. Yeah. I mean, there's also a bit of, I I have to say, like, you know, okay, Corey, but like, there is a bit of fight or flight going on there, right? Like, you're oh, like, absolutely. I gotta, I gotta get you out of here. If you have I, a moment where you're like, I'm gonna die on the floor of this bathroom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. You're like, I gotta go. I gotta, I gotta get out of here. And then once you're out of there, again, it's like one of those things where once you're out of there, like, oh gosh, I got out of there. 
I guess hopefully, hopefully it's over. You know what I mean? And hopefully like, you know, and it's probably just, you know, denial and like naive optimism of like, oh, she's probably fine. It's easy to judge with hindsight, Mm -hmm. but I also think as a woman, my lens would never be like, oh, that's probably fine. Right. Yep. Whereas for him, as he said, he's like, we fought, that's it. Yeah, he kicked my ass, so he won. the, And that, and that in it itself, actually, Corey. Corey, now that I'm thinking about more let's, about this. Let's talk about Corey for a second. Um, you, that, that is a bit of its own toxic masculinity, right? Because it's like, we fought, you won, I leave. That's right. how that goes. That's how that goes. Regardless of the police get involved, regardless if I was about to die on this woman's bathroom, I, you win, I leave. And, um, whether he likes to like, whether he, you know, really thought about this way, he left the prize with the winner. Like that's kind of what he did. So, you know, Corey, I'm sure, I hope you, you know, I would assume that you regret this. Corey is later interviewed and says that Corey is later interviewed and says that when John is yelling at Christy, we're engaged, right? You only love me, right? You don't want to be with him, right? He's pretty much like, this shit is crazy. Like, what is ha- what is happening? And yeah. so I think that also, he's like, what the, she wants to be with him, whatever. But again, Corey, let's go ahead and use that noodle. If he's coercing her to say that shit and he's beating the fuck out of you. Maybe that's not how she feels, Corey. Yeah, Corey. Corey's also a victim, so I don't want to just like rash on him. But I do think that had Corey intervened, we'd be having a very different conversation. Or not a conversation, because maybe this wouldn't have been as severe of a case. Yes, I I agree with that. I think, I don't see it as Corey necessarily making these poor decisions because he's in a victim space. It's that like what he's been led to believe how these social contracts were is what led him to just leave, is what led him to just, you know, lick his wounds and go away. Right. And that was, and that failed him too. And this is the reason that I am so critical of Corey is because By the time Christy gets medical assistance, she has suffered the following injuries. 18 broken bones in her face, 12 missing teeth, three rib fractures, and severe damage to her liver. Truly, Christy's braveness floors me. John, after breaking the handle to the knife, goes to Christy's kitchen to find another kitchen knife. Christy, while John is distracted, somehow bravely managed to get to her first floor balcony and jumped off it. Oh my gosh. Back to the opening moments. Christy runs, leaving a bloody trail behind her, trying to bang on doors, get anyone to open up, and eventually collapses on the ground outside her neighbor's house where they call the paramedics for her. Police arrive, Christy is taken to the hospital, and the hospital pictures are so awful that you cannot recognize her face. Oh my gosh. Christy also has a thigh bruise so deep that she is unable to walk for a week. Oh my gosh. And I will show you the pictures if you would like, but they are very graphic. So that's your call. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh my gosh. It's awful. These pictures are very gruesome. So goog at your own risk, but they are horrible. Horrible. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Unrecognizable. You know what it looks like? It looks like a professionally trained fighter beat the shit out of this woman. That's exactly what it looks like. Funny. Weird. Yeah. So just further proof that John is an absolute piece of shit as if we needed it. 
The cops rush to Christie's place, but they cannot find John. John decides to go on the run. And for two weeks, he is able to evade the cops. But like a fucking idiot, he tweets the whole time. Wow. Good job. Thanks, John. The theme of these tweets is how it's so hard to be a white male domestic abuser and overall human garbage. Oh my God, the poor guy. Oh, it makes me want to throw up in my mouth. Christy actually has to go into hiding while John is on the run because she's obviously still at risk. Mm -hmm. And John's just tweeting bullshit left and right. Dog the bounty hunter decides to get involved after seeing the picture of Christy's injuries. Mm -hmm. Just another weird fame dynamic to this case. So I actually found some of John's tweets from August 11th, 2014. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to just go ahead and read them verbatim. I'm not a bad guy. I went to surprise my girlfriend, help her set up her show and to give her an engagement ring. And I ended up fighting for my life. Wow. What did, what did Corey do for a living? Do we know this? I'm, I'm guessing he wasn't an MMA fighter. I don't know. I just know he was friends with Christy. Okay. He was definitely not an <laughs> MMA fighter. He was right. just like a garden variety semi-hot dude with right. frosted tips. Okay. Yeah. I mean. But- Relevant information. <laughs> He sounds like he nearly beat you to the end of your life, John. I, yeah. Absolutely. You were so in danger. Second tweet. The cops will never give me fair play. Never believe me. Still deciding what to do. But at the end of the day, it's all just heartbreaking. Oh, is it? Was it? Was it? Was it, John? Fucking A. Christy's mom, Erin, testifies at the trial. Erin is the best mom ever. And also is like the OG, that bitch in all the <laughs> right. best senses of the word. I this stand. Christy becomes. Yes. Christy is a second generation bad bitch. Right. Yes. If looks could kill, John would have been murdered repeatedly by Aaron's testimony. When asked to identify him, hmm. she points him out. And when asked if he looks the same as when he was dating Christy and she knew him. She said, well, he's lost about 60 pounds of weight and muscle. He looks mm-hmm. awful. Oh, wow. We stand a shady queen. Aaron, I love it. Aaron, oh, love I it. love it. Love it. She knew. She knows. She, she's not like that person that can just see right Oof. through to the like, not that you, not that he's that opaque, but like can just see right through the seed of what makes you tick and just like squish it. Yeah. yeah. The hate is deep. And I would actually recommend watching a video of this testimony because it's just so good to see John get his ass kicked by Aaron on the stand and not be able to respond and just have to sit there and take it. Aaron says that Christy became very withdrawn after dating John more than usual with her homebody personality. And that over time, she had seen Christy's independence just get more and more stripped away. Erin also says she overheard a huge screaming match in the house between Christy and John. And Christy had said that John grabbed her by the neck and had dragged her up the stairs. And Christy had red marks on her neck and was hysterical. Erin says, I'm calling the cops, motherfucker. And John starts packing a bag while yelling, I'm going to kill you. Oh, that's, yeah. Normal breakup behavior. Yeah. I'm being sarcastic. Don't do that when you break up with someone. Again, the absolute withering 
looks at John are unrivaled. I aspire to throw these looks one day. (laughs) Aaron wakes up on the morning of the attack at 6.44 a.m. to text from John. John says, quote, there was a huge fight when I came in and the guy she was in bed with came at me. That proactive text is not suspicious at all. Don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. Suspicious. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Nothing to see over here. Erin, completely justified, freaks out. She's like, no, I know what this is. I see through this. She's calling John again and again. Like, what the fuck is happening, bro? You better pick up the phone right goddamn now. She finally gets John on the phone. And John says, well, we got into a fight and I had to beat her up. And that's it for Aaron. Aaron's fucking done. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. That's, how are you going to, the audacity. The caucasity. What? The male toxicity. Terrible TM all over the place. Oh. Aaron immediately is like, fuck this. Quote, I hung up the phone, went and woke up my boyfriend and said, you got to get up now. He did something to Christy. Move your car so I can get across town. Not even like wake up. Just She's not even taking him. She's not even taking him. No, she's just like, get out of my way so I can go beat this guy's ass. Get your car out of the way so I can get in my fucking car because I got to go. I would have just taken his car. The urgency, right? That boyfriend must have woke up also like, what the fuck? What's what is happening? Erin, at this point, is certain Christy is dead. And Erin testifies that she dissociates a little bit. So between leaving her house, she didn't remember anything for like miles until she was almost at Christy's house at a stoplight. She didn't remember getting in the car. She just, I have to get there. Right. Erin gets to Christy's house and there are cops everywhere. Erin has no fucks to give and just dives out of her car and runs right for the front door. Multiple cops tried to stop her, but she still gets inside the front door because Erin is that bitch. Right. She sees a cop and she says, is my daughter dead? And the female cop takes a pause and says, no, but she's hurt real bad and she's in the hospital. Erin dashes to the hospital. She is crying so hard that even as she's walking up to the room, Christy can hear her. And Erin gets into the room, sees an unrecognizable Christy laying in bed. And Christy's first words to Erin are, please don't cry. Oh my gosh. Just heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah. Oh gosh. And they're very close. And Erin did not know the extent of this, obviously. You know, Erin would have had some time for this shit. Mm-hmm. Erin actually crouches down on the side of the bed so that she can hold Christy's hand, but still cry hysterically because oh. she can't believe the damage that has been done to her daughter. Erin finds out that John still has Christy's phone because Christy is saying she wants her phone back. Erin starts texting John, quote, I want that fucking phone. Right? Yeah. Bitch. John refuses to give it back. On the stand, Erin is asked if she could get the phone back and says no in just the most, it was dripping with poison. I would never want to get that look in a thousand years. Erin is asked if she regrets not going to the police to report the earlier instances of domestic violence that she saw or suspected. Erin says, quote, no. No. Looks right at John. I really wish I would have fucking shot you. (gasps) 
She said that in court. That's amazing. I added the fucking, but yes. Immediately the her. prosecutor says, oh, okay, thank you. No further questions. <laughs> so John ends up being found in a shitty motel in Simi Valley, California, where he's from, because he got into a physical altercation with a female guest. Oh yeah, like he does. He is held in Clark County Detention Center without bond for two and a half years while he waits for trial. The trial was originally scheduled for September 15th, but it was postponed twice. So it began in February 2017. He is charged with 34 criminal counts, including two attempted murder charges. I'm going to read Christie's victim statement, and I already showed you the pictures that she published along with this statement. Quote, at about 2 a.m. Friday morning, John arrived unannounced to my home in Las Vegas after he broke up with me in May. He had moved out of my house and back to San Diego. When he arrived, he found myself and one other fully clothed and unarmed in the house. Without a single word spoken, he began beating my friend. Once he was finished, he sent my friend away and turned his attention to me. He made me undress and shower in front of him, then dragged me out and beat my face. I have no recollection of how many times I was hit. I just know my injuries that resulted from the beating. My injuries include 18 broken bones around my eyes. My nose is broken in two places. I'm missing teeth and several more are broken. I am unable to chew or see out of my left eye. My speech is slurred from my swelling and lack of teeth. I have a fractured rib and severely ruptured liver from a kick to my side. My leg is so badly injured, I have not been able to walk on my own. I also attained several lesions from a knife he got from my kitchen. He pushed the knife into me in some areas, such as my hand, ear, and head. He also sawed off much of my hair with this dull knife. After some time, the knife broke off the handle, and he continued to threaten me with the blade. I believed I was going to die. He has beaten me many times before, but never this badly. He took my phone and canceled all my plans for the following week to make sure no one would worry about my whereabouts. He told me he was going to rape me. He told me he was going to rape me, but was disappointed in himself when he could not get hard. After another hit or two, he left me on the floor, bleeding and shaking, holding my side from the pain of my rib. He left the room and went to the kitchen where I could hear him ruffling around my drawers. Assuming he was finding a sharper, more stable knife to end my life, I ran out the back door, shutting it behind me so the dogs didn't run inside and tip him off. I hopped the fence to the golf course behind my house and ran to a neighboring house. Naked and afraid he would catch me, I kept running through my neighborhood, knocking on doors. Finally, one answered, I was brought to the hospital and treated for my injury. I'd like to thank everyone for their support through this tough time. I'm healing fast and well. I appreciate the prayers and visits I have received. After many months of fear and pressure to keep this man happy, although I fear for my life, I feel I can no longer put myself in this situation. The cheating by him nearly every day and almost weekly abuse is now more than I can stand. There is a $10,000 reward for the caption of John at this time. Please report any information to your local police. Christy also later says that John emailed her once and said, quote, I forgive you. We can move oh, out. That's so anyway. Okay. Thanks, John. Up. Thanks, John. Thanks, John. I forgive you. We can move out to the middle of nowhere and breed snakes. Oh my God. Oh my God. It's so, it's so delusional. John, it's- you've, you've lost the plot. My guy, John has gone on to never say that he is sorry, but he forgave her. 
He forgives her. On March 20th, 2017, he is convicted of 29 felony counts, including kidnapping and sexual assault with a weapon for which he faced life in prison. The jury deadlocked on the two counts of attempted murder. Why? I don't fucking know. Why would you put a knife in someone's ear? If you're not, if you're not, if your goal is not to end their life. What the actual fuck? You 12 jurors? I got questions. Right? Yeah. Just real quick. This is after this piece of shit laughed in open court, just by the way. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. How? What? Vegas. On June 5th, 2017, John is sentenced to a sentence of life in prison with the possibility of parole. I can't. Sorry. That's, I forget eye rolls are silent. <sighs> this is a hard at, eye roll just for, just for everybody to know. At sentencing, the judge delivered this stunner. Quote, I have to look out for the well-being of the community. That, then why is there parole? Yeah. Well, okay, judge. Thanks, judge. John receives life in prison with the possibility of parole at 36 years. So he doesn't even have the opportunity to go before a parole board until 36 years from now. So he will be over 70 before he has a chance at parole. Okay. Well, all right. If that seems excessive to anyone, don't listen to this podcast. But a. <laughs> And what most people don't take into account is that there were seven previous victims before Christy. So many people have had to be hospitalized because he can't control his aggression. There's been girlfriends. There's been random people on the street, bouncers, security guards. Like there's no limit. So when someone isn't going to stop, what are you going to do? Yeah. On October 14th, 2017, John is found unresponsive in his Vegas prison cell, and he has a makeshift cloth noose around his neck. A lengthy note in his handwriting reads, quote, they want to charge me with battery and domestic violence. Fine, do it, but don't railroad me with BS fantasy charges like rape, attempted murder, kidnapping, and burglary. It's making it impossible for justice. I'm a good person with a huge heart, and everyone who knows me knows that, especially Christy. Oh my gosh, it is so... Yeah, the depth of the delusion that he has somehow been able to maintain is just... It's almost... It's one of those things where you're like, it's almost impressive, but then that makes me sick to say. Yeah. Like, it's like, it's impressive in like a very neutral or even negative way where it's like, I, I don't understand. Like the human brain is a crazy place that they could, he could be that, that you just believe it's like some giant conspiracy against him. Like or you whatever. Have, you have built a shack on denial. Yeah. You've convinced yourself that that's the entire world. And obviously <laughs> he feels that he is somehow a victim. In this oh, situation, yeah. that he's being persecuted unfairly. And I, I don't know, like, what do you think? Do you think everybody else duped Christy and had to explain, and it, like, explain to her that, like, you know, you being the shit out of her wasn't someone brainwashed Christy? Right. Is what and you think? Yeah. What? John, get fucked. In true John fashion, he does not succeed in the suicide attempt. Not that we want anyone to succeed. I just am commenting that he lived. His vital signs returned to normal. He is again put in solitary confinement and is on suicide watch. He remains locked up. He had some kind of prison pen pal romance, which fucking ew. So we're done talking about John. He's human garbage. Your time is done. Christy has gone on to continue to rescue and foster pit bulls. She works as a domestic violence advocate. 
And Christy says, quote, you know, when you're in this kind of situation, you feel very helpless. You feel that you can't go anywhere. But I want to let people know that life does go on no matter what. If you choose to leave your abuser, life will go on and you will be okay and you can make it. What a queen. Christy, just the best. I feel like that's a really nice note to end on. Christy, all my respect and awe and I'm just so amazed by your inner strength. Yeah, it's it's so inspiring and um, it's a testament to like human, human strength, like what yes. people can go through and then come out on the other side of. The resiliency of Christy is amazing. Yeah. So yeah. Christy did end up having to have some reconstructive surgeries um, as a result of her injuries. And I can show you a picture of what she looks like today. Okay. This is Christy testifying at the trial. Oh, wow. Okay. And Christy decided to wear like almost every wig she owned to the trial because John hated her wigs. So just an extra fuck you to John. Christy decides to shave her head and later starts growing it out and dyes it blonde. And so this is what Christy looks like now. Oh, very happy. She's glowing. She looks great. She does. She looks like she really bounced back and flourished. And there's a, in this picture, in this picture is a happy ass pit bull. Oh my God. Just cheesing on the couch next to her. Big meat. Good There's boy. a picture of her with some baby pit bulls. Aww. Yeah. Um, Christy loves animals and had a lot of animals uh, always. And at the time that her and John were together, they actually got two ferrets together, which if you have ferrets, you really love animals in my opinion, because yeah, I, yeah. they're cute, but I don't want to own one. I'll just look at the TikToks. Thank you. <laughs> exactly. So that is the toxic masculinity of John Copenhaver. Well, it certainly was. Holy. I mean, if you want to talk about a guy who branded toxic masculinity, I mean, I feel like that pretty much encompasses. Yep. And pretty much encompasses it. Yeah. I, is it, is it, is it, is it to, to that merch is just not available now, right? I like, would hope. I, I'm I hoping should, nobody tried to pick I up that torch. Check. I'm hoping nobody picked up that it's torch. like his brother kept it going. Well, right? I mean, now I have to look. A quick side goog. The last tweets from the company page are November 2015, and they're all like stuff's on sale. Okay. Wow. So it's just, it just froze. No, just, they're Shopify oh. down. Yeah. It's oh, I see. Apparently, even for John's brother, that was too much, I guess. To just go through some resources as we wrap up. I will link all of this information in the episode description, some resources for domestic violence. There is the National Domestic Violence Hotline, the National Dating Abuse Helpline, the National Child Abuse Helpline, National Sexual Assault Hotline, National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, National Center for Victims of Crime. And I will link all the phone numbers and websites for those organizations in the episode description. Jess, thank you so much for coming and being traumatized by experiencing this well thank you for choosing me to be traumatized right along with you um it was it it was you know enlightening and it's always interesting to learn about the depths of human depravity and the depths of human resilience so at least there's a, a strong dichotomy there in the story 
Yes. It is really nice that Christy has gone on to make meaning of this and Mm -hmm. ultimately become more comfortable coming back into the spotlight and potentially starting up her business again. It looked, I I didn't want to go too deep into her website because I'm on Mike's computer and this targeted ads at work might get weird, but uh, <laughs> yeah, that is, it mm-hmm. looks like her, her website is still active. And so I assume she's still making money from either her past films or maybe stuff that she's doing now. All the shout outs in the Good world to her. Christy. Yeah, yeah. God, Christy and Aaron, just like the best team yeah. ever. Mm-hmm. I probably called them John throughout the whole episode instead of War Machine, like all these other he outlets legally, are using. He legally changed his name to War Machine. So like in court, they had to call him that, which is just, oh my gosh, fucking clown listeners. Thanks so much for tuning in. We have an email address set up in the description for the podcast. If you want to send us ideas for a case or feedback, anything that I missed that you might want to add in corrections corners. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. Hi, friends. If you like the podcast, I would love if you would go ahead and leave me a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. It's the only place that I can actually get ratings and get reviews and get ranked. Please check us out on Instagram at Monsters Walk With Us, all one word. And I'd love if you could send us an email and tell me where you're listening from, maybe suggest a case. The email address is hidden, period, monsters, period, walk at gmail.com. Thanks so much. We'll see you next week.